we can think of ourselves as being in our meditation hall together. This retreat, this form of retreat, a couple of you mentioned it was your first retreat online. Some of you, your first retreat altogether. This is, I think, the sixth or seventh online retreat that I've taught since April. And um, I'm beginning to appreciate and discover that it's a whole new form of practice. It does have this possibility of blending the, intensive, the, the intensive, intensive retreat that we do when we seclude ourselves at a retreat center with daily life. And it's been very powerful uh, for a lot of people to, um, to, to enter into this form in which the intention and the cultivation of the practice is infused right into your home environment, your, um, your daily lives, some of your more normal interactions with family perhaps, or with um, neighbors or going to the grocery store even. Some of you may be choosing to seclude yourselves a little more and that's, that's absolutely fine. The, 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 as I said uh, a little while ago, this practice uh, carries between intensive, silent, formal practice and daily life practice. But this form where we are um, practicing as a community, but in our own environments, has a power uh, that I was not really prepared for. I wasn't really prepared for the, uh, the depth of um, new kinds of learning that seem to be happening for people in this form. And we are creating this form together. You know, it is, it is a, a little bit of a a little bit of a um, experiment how these retreats work. But I like to think in this, in this way that our meditation hall has become enormous. We um, span the globe from California to Europe to China. It's kind of amazing um, that we have this huge meditation hall so maybe when you walk out your door, you might think of that being your meditation hall too. <laughs> so our practice, the, the reason we practice, I, I just like to remind us all of this um, at the beginning of a retreat. We practice so that we can understand our minds, understand how our minds habitually get caught in stress, in suffering, in confusion. And that understanding, the wisdom that comes through understanding, like the very, the, the natural consequences of that understanding are that the mind, our organism, our system begins to reorient to let go of those patterns and habits that tend to take us to suffering, that tend to create stress, dissatisfaction, unhappiness in our lives. And the, the system moves in the direction of qualities of heart and mind, of action 
that supports happiness, that supports ease, peace in our lives. And yet this is not an instantaneous kind of transformation. It is a gradual path. The Buddha speaks of the path as being a gradual path. And so it requires patience and trust also in watching our minds do the things that we do habitually. That's a lot of what we get to see when we open our... um, our attention to what's happening in our experience. We get to see the ways in which we're struggling, the ways in which we're caught. And just simply seeing it usually doesn't make it go away. The understanding that develops takes time. It takes time for that wisdom to grow. And so part of what we get to to do is to watch those habits and patterns. We watch them from the perspective of being curious about them. One analogy that I really love in connection to this practice is that what we're doing is really studying nature. Our systems are a form of nature we are studying our hearts and our minds as nature, like a naturalist who goes out into the world, into the forest, to uh, be curious about how the systems of the forest work, what kind of animals feed at these plants, or where do they live, what kind of communities do they form, How do the plants and animals interact? A naturalist sits in nature and observes and learns. And that takes time. You don't sit down for one day or, you know, even two or three days and learn everything there is to be learned. This is the kind of approach we are taking here. We are curious about our systems. How do, how do our systems work? Where do they tend to get knotted up and constricted? How does that happen? And the, the seeing of that, the understanding that grows with that begins to release those patterns in, uh, in a skillful way. And the key tool, the, the key tool in many ways to this, being a naturalist, being an observer of our own system, is mindfulness, awareness, being aware of what's happening in the present moment. And as with a naturalist, if you're sitting out in nature and falling asleep while in nature you're not going to learn very much, awareness needs to be there. It needs to, we, there needs to be an establishment of that mindfulness, establishment of, of awareness, over time. And this is, this is our work. We explore how we can become aware moment after moment after moment. With this perspective, it's not just being aware that is um, going to help the mind learn and understand to shift the mind and heart away from stress and suffering. 
it is a, a kind of awareness that has a particular perspective, a perspective of curiosity about experience, a perspective of curiosity about what is this human system. Like a naturalist goes out to just be curious about how do these systems interact? What is this nature? The naturalist isn't going out to try to find those things that are going to um, make the naturalist rich or to try to get rid of the things that the naturalist doesn't like. It is to simply be curious. This is the form of mindfulness, this curious kind of balanced curiosity of what is this human experience. And so that's the kind of mindfulness that we explore establishing. So tonight I'm just going to take a few minutes to overview a few of the tools that help this establishment of mindfulness. And then tomorrow morning we'll, um, we'll go into a, little more, into a little more depth with that. So the first tool that... Um, that is incredibly helpful, not only for this form of practice, and I would call this form of practice receptive, receptive awareness. We are not choosing necessarily what we pay attention to. Instead, we are kind of seeing what is our system up to? What is already happening? What's already going on? And so we kind of settle back like the naturalist and just receive what's happening, not trying to control what's happening. And so relaxation is a key support for this kind of receptive practice. And actually, I would say, um, you know, Sayadaw Utejaniya talked about relaxation a lot and it finally got into my head that it was really important, um, how important it was for this form of practice. But then subsequently, uh, I've seen how valuable relaxation is for any form of meditation practice. Whether you're doing loving kindness practice or concentration practice or breath meditation or receptive awareness practice, relaxation is key. starting with the kind of relaxing the body, allowing the body to relax. You can play with this now while I speak about it, you know, just letting the body relax. Allowing the muscles of the body to relax. As the body relaxes, it helps our mind to be able to relax a little bit. The body and mind are very tightly connected, very tightly coupled. And uh, when the mind is tense, it reflects on the body and the body tends to become tense. And likewise, that reflection goes two ways. When the body is tense, it also reflects on the mind and the mind tends to become tense. And so it's a two-way street. And so if you can relax the body, 
in particular, there's a few areas of the, the face. The face is such a reflection of what's going on in the mind. If the face can relax, that sometimes really helps the mind to relax. So letting the face relax and maybe the neck and shoulders and other parts of the body. And maybe too, inside the body can relax. The throat, the heart, the stomach, the intestines. As the body relaxes, maybe you'll notice there's a little bit more relaxation of mind. And so the body relaxing supports the mind to be more relaxed. A mind that is not relaxed, that is tense, tends to be caught up in past and future, tends to be wound in thoughts, worries, concerns. And so when the mind relaxes, those thoughts, those worries, concerns, what happens is that the mind tends to land in the present moment being here, available to know what's happening. And so relaxation, relaxing the body, relaxing the mind, creates the conditions for a very natural awareness, mindfulness to be present. And so with this relaxation, perhaps you notice that you're aware. This is actually simple, although not something we tend to kind of orient to. Mostly when we are aware, we are curious about what we are aware of, body sensations, thoughts, emotions, sights, sounds, smells, taste, touch. But can you be curious about, are you aware? You may not quite know how you know you're aware. You don't have to figure that part out. But just, do you know that you're aware right now? If you're listening to me, you're not lost in thought or asleep in this moment, you are aware. Just knowing that you're aware, having that understanding, that's enough in this moment. This aspect of recognizing that we are aware is a key support for this practice. Because if we can recognize that we are aware, it doesn't matter what we are aware of. The establishment of mindfulness, the continuity of mindfulness is connected with just knowing that we're aware. 
this is how mindfulness is established in this practice, the recognition that we're aware. And what happens in that is, is a flow of changing experiences. We don't have to try to stay with one object or experience, such as the breath. Often we have practiced or cultivated meditation uh, practices around being with the breath or being with one particular experience. That is a way and a very helpful way to cultivate mindfulness. This practice is slightly different in that we're not choosing what to pay attention to, but kind of anchoring or connecting with the uh, experience of being aware and then just noticing what's here. It doesn't matter moment to moment, just aware of a body sensation and then a thought, another body sensation, perhaps a sight, perhaps a breath, perhaps an emotion or a feeling, moment after moment, are you aware? And what is happening? What is obvious? This is the other piece of being mindful. There's the knowing that we're aware. And then what is awareness aware of? Recognizing awareness and what is obvious? What is the mind already paying attention to? We don't have to choose it. We don't have to choose what to pay attention to. This was a shift for me early in my practice. I thought that if I was not choosing the object of meditation, if I didn't have control over what mindfulness was paying attention to, then it meant I wasn't being mindful. And this uh, more receptive practice helps me to understand, helped me to kind of understand that mindfulness is a different function of mind than attention. Attention is what pulls experience out of our environment to orient to. And there is a way that attention is subject to our conscious control. We can choose, I'm going to pay attention to my hands right now. I'm going to pay attention to a breath right now. So there's a way that attention is amenable to conscious control a way that attention can be directed. But it doesn't have to be consciously directed. If we are settled back like the naturalist, our attention may be drawn from one thing to another without our consciously choosing where the attention is drawn. And so we can watch or be curious about where the attention lands not being in charge of it. Another analogy that might support this approach 
is to think about being the passenger in a car as opposed to the driver of the car. When you're, when you're driving, you're making the choices. You're deciding where to go, which turns to take. So you're in charge and having to navigate. As the passenger, you can just sit there and watch the scenery go by. You don't have to be concerned about making the choices. You don't have to check out and go to sleep either, though. You can be there. You can be alert and curious about the environment that's passing by. And so this is the form of practice that we're exploring. Are you aware? And in each moment, what is obvious? What is obvious? How about right now? It may be something in the body. Body sensations are often pretty obvious. It could be a breath. But how about now? Maybe it's hearing. Maybe it's attending to the sound of my voice. Or maybe it's a feeling, an emotion, or a mood. Are you aware? What is obvious? There will be times when we can't be with what is obvious. When what is obvious is too painful, too uh, um, kind of habitually sticky, it pulls us out of awareness. I sometimes use the analogy from Alice in Wonderland of going into the rabbit hole. Sometimes, sometimes our um, mind states that come, just naturally come, can pull us into them. It's like they're quicksand or a whirlpool. We get pulled under. When that's happening, sometimes we can't simply be with what is obvious. And we may need to redirect our attention, to choose a place for the attention for a time. Use some of your, your familiar tools, perhaps, those of you who've practiced before, some of the tools that you know that help you to regain your mindfulness. We'll talk more about working with difficulty, working with it when we can't just be with what's obvious. And yet, very often, we have more capacity to just be with what's here than we give ourselves credit for. Can you just know right now what's happening? Are you aware? And what is obvious? If it feels like the mind is kind of flailing, not able to just simply have that stance of settle back in the car and just watch things come through, then just start by picking something easy to connect with. Maybe it's the contact of your hips against the chair, cushion or bench, your couch. Maybe it's a breath. Maybe it's the sensations of your hands. Just letting your attention land somewhere. But then you don't have to hold on to that. 
once you've let your attention land somewhere, it can stay there for as long as it wants to, but at some point, the attention will be pulled to something else. You'll be paying attention to your hands, and then suddenly you'll notice that the attention is listening instead. Then you can just notice, oh, the, the attention is shifted to listening. Aware of listening is happening. And then maybe it shifts to a breath. And then maybe to an emotion. Kind of a, a sense of following where the attention goes. Our effort in this practice is very light. It's very settled back. We simply receive what's here, what's here now. What's the next thing? Just enough effort to stay, be connected with this moment. Just, just enough to be with what's happening now. And then do it again. And again, and again. Just this light, the lightest touch of effort. A little bit of effort each moment. The other piece of this practice, so relaxing, recognizing awareness, noticing what's obvious. And then from time to time, it's useful to check your relationship with experience, how you are in relationship to experience. This is a place where in the mind, so this is a, the mind's relationship to experience. This is the place where we tend to get caught in stress and suffering and dissatisfaction in aversion. Something is happening, an unpleasant experience, and we don't like it. And sometimes that not liking is hidden behind the scenes. We're not consciously aware. We're not recognizing that there's something unpleasant and not liking is a part of what's happening. Instead, there's something unpleasant that's happening and we are not liking it. And in a way, kind of trying to adjust or figure out how to get rid of that thing. And so we're not clearly aware of the not liking. It's not an experience that we're knowing as another creature that's come out of the forest. Well, there's this unpleasant experience and the not liking creature has joined it. That's the approach that this exploring, what the relationship is, it begins to kind of reveal hidden creatures. And then we can just simply become aware of them. So noticing too, just from time to time, how are you in relationship to experience? It might be a flavor of, of wanting something to happen, flavor of greed. It might be a flavor of aversion, of wanting to get rid of something. It might be a flavor of confusion, uncertainty, not sure what to do, views or beliefs, a flavor of delusion at work in the mind. Or it might be the flavor of balance of mind, this is okay, not a problem. The mind is calm, connected, 
feeling of compassion or kindness to experience. This is what Saira Utejaniya calls wise attitude or right attitude, a perspective that allows us to be at ease with whatever's happening in the present moment. It's useful to notice it when that's happening because when the mind is at ease, there are wholesome qualities present in the mind. Useful to recognize those wholesome qualities. And so we'll talk about all of this more in the coming days. This is really just the the basic overview of the teachings uh, that Sayadaw Utejaniya offers. Relax, recognize the awareness, recognize that you're aware. That's so important. Are you aware? What is obvious? And then from time to time, noticing how you are in relationship to experience. So the instructions are pretty simple. And yet what they reveal in terms of the workings of our mind, it's kind of amazingly complex. And yet the practice itself is simple. A simple mind meeting experience. It's like the simplicity of the naturalist sitting there observing and the vast complexity that is observed. But the, simple, the naturalist's job is simple, just to observe. In that observing, our intelligence, our natural intelligence begins to put the understanding together. We don't have to do that part. So another piece of the opening evening is an entry into the retreat container uh, in the form of kind of commitments, agreements that we make together to practice together. And so Anna, Anna will talk about uh, the refuges and the precepts. Thank you, Andrea. Um, so, a few words about uh, what the refuges and the precepts are and why they are important to talk about at the beginning of retreats, as is usually done uh, in this tradition, uh, the opening, the opening evening, and um, the five precepts are five ethical guidelines introduced by the Buddha, five ethical practice guidelines, and in Finnish we usually say And if you're new to this practice or to this tradition, you might be surprised to hear that actually quite often when the Buddha taught meditation, or actually before he taught meditation, he taught uh, ethics, taught about uh, ethical behavior in the world as an important foundation for practice, practicing meditation. And the essence of these precepts is to refrain from harming any living beings, 
Infinish would say, pidättäydytään vahingoittamasta eläviä olentoja. So refraining from harming, you know, the other yogis on the retreat, refraining from harming the managers or the teachers or anybody around here, your family members, friends, colleagues. Also including yourself. We so often forget about ourselves and our attitude towards ourselves might, might be quite harsh and demanding and judgmental oftentimes. So this retreat could also be taken as an opportunity to really take care with your attitude towards everybody else and yourself and then see if it could be could be about you know acceptance and kindness and compassion. And the first precept really encompasses all the others, but the Buddha, or actually I'm thinking of what we could do now is to, you know, traditionally we chant these precepts, but it's kind of challenging on Zoom, we have noticed. <laughs> so I would actually like to invite you to pause for, for a moment, uh, closing your eyes if you, if you like, and just like silently in your own mind, um, in your own words, take this first precept in your own way to refrain from harming living beings for the duration of this retreat. As I was already um, beginning to say, the first precept really kind of encompasses all the others, but the Buddha chose to give us some more detail in the form of the four others. So the second precept is about refraining from taking that which is not given. So like take, refraining from taking, taking the possessions of, of others. And this is what we want to avoid is that our happiness wouldn't, our own happiness and well-being wouldn't come at the expense of others. And we might discover with practice that our well-being and happiness and contentment is actually much more about inner life and what happens inside rather than about our material possessions. So again, inviting you to pause for, for a moment and committing to this precept in your own way, refraining from taking that which is not given for the duration of this retreat. Third precept 
asks us to refrain from harm through our sexuality. And you know, all kinds of impulses can arise and, and do arise in the human mind. And that's okay, we can allow all that. But what we are trying to do is to let go of any impulses that lead to harm, in this case, any, any harmful sexual impulses. So again, pausing for a moment, committing to the precept of refraining from harm through sexuality. The fourth precept is about refraining from harmful speech. And this one looks a bit different <laughs> uh, depending on your circumstances. And you know, as has, said, has, as has been said before, some of you might be sitting this retreat in seclusion and silence and not meeting anybody the entire time. And some of you might be interacting with your family, even going to work. And there's no right or wrong way of doing this retreat. Definitely, if there's any comparing mind there, you, you, you can try try to let, let go of that as best as you can. And this practice and these precepts can be applied to any, any one situation. So if you are in a situation where you're interacting with others, this is a really great and valuable place of practice. So really paying attention to how you speak to others like trying to do it in a way that's not horrible, trying to do it in a way that's saying things that are truthful, saying things that are useful, saying things when it's a good time to say them, saying things with a kind intention in a kind way. And this is a practice that can really carry over till the, after the retreat. To Anon because you know harmful speech creates so much suffering in our lives. So one of like something really valuable to practice if, if you have the opportunity for that. So again, pausing and in your mind, in your own words, committing to the precept of refraining from harmful speech. And the fifth and final precept is about refraining from taking intoxicants that cloud the mind. And, you know, on this, re on this retreat, in this practice, we are trying to create conditions to best support clarity of mind, alertness of mind, 
to support the arising of wisdom. And if we take that beer or that glass of wine, it's, it, it's kind of counterproductive here. So, so maybe not the thing to do here. And, and but there's, you know, if, if, if you're on medication prescribed by your doctor, please do continue taking that. It's, it's very important that you don't quit your prescribed medi medication on the retreat. You know, I, I like to extend this preset to like more, more general situation where like, our mind has such a tendency to like want to avoid the unpleasant, want to not feel the unpleasant, want to distract ourselves from the unpleasant. So if you're in a home environment, you might 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 get interested in impulses in impulses in the mind, like when you when you meet something unpleasant in the body or in the mind, like an unpleasant emotion, maybe there's an impulse to, you know, open that beer, or maybe there's an impulse to look at the phone, or maybe there's an impulse to turn on the TV, just to distract yourself or escape from that unpleasantness. So maybe expand, in, expand this, this precept to, to, to mean that like re refraining from, from distractions to the practice, distractions to the awareness, distractions to presence as, as much as possible, and instead giving ourselves a chance to actually feel what's going on, to turn towards what's going on, allow what's going on. And that can be really healing healing thing to do wise thing to do so again in your own words uh, pausing to commit to this precept to refrain from taking intoxicants that cloud the mind In a few words about the three refuges, three refuges, and a refuge is a word that um, refers to a place of safety or a source of support. And in Finnish, we usually say turva or turvautuminen. Uh, and we all take refuge in something. We all need to take refuge in something in life. I think when things get difficult. We need some help and support when we are facing something challenging. And our refuges can be more or less skillful. <laughs> and um, in the context of this tradition, we offer you three skillful ref refuges to take. And these are the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the so-called triple gem. And taking refuge in the Buddha doesn't mean anything like adoration, like blind adoration of a statue or anything like that. But it's about remembering that there was this real human being living uh, 
in the area of Nepal and India about 2,600 years ago, who, who really was practicing and one time sat under the Bodhi tree and, and got awakened, meaning that he found freedom, like full, complete freedom from suffering and distress and dissatisfaction and confusion. So remembering that it's not just like one special being or a few special beings who have this capacity to find freedom and awakening, but it's actually all human beings who have that, including you. So taking refuge in that you have that seed of awakening inside here, that capacity yourself. And taking refuge in the Dharma uh, Dharma is a word that has many meanings. One of them is the teachings of the Buddha. And taking refuge in the Dharma could mean that um, trust, that trusting that those teachings work. You know, they are teachings about how the mind and the heart get caught in suffering and distress and confusion and teachings about how the heart and the mind can be freed. So, so taking refuge in the Dharma, meaning taking refuge in, in the trust that these teachings actually work and are enough to lead where you want to go. And finally, taking refuge in the Sangha, the community of practitioners. You know, the manager so beautifully talked about that, this in the manager's talk, how all of us are here kind of to support each other and, and how the managers themselves find it so important to feel this connection and offer the support and even feeling gratitude for it being able to do that. So maybe at this point, taking a look at your screen or these small tiles on your screen, really taking in everybody here, seeing all these people who are going to be here on this retreat with you for these five days. Because most people feel that it's so much easier to be practicing in a group than alone. <laughs> Imagine being just alone for four or five days without any anybody, no yogis, no teachers, no managers, but you have all these people here in front of you who are going to sit with you and practice with you go through challenging times with you and maybe monizer times with you. So this is your Sangha for the retreat and taking refuge in the support that everybody here is going to offer to everybody, the yogis and the managers and the teachers. So inviting you for one more time to pause for a moment, closing your eyes and in your own way, in your own words, taking refuge in the Buddha, in the Dharma, and in the Sangha for the duration of this retreat.
when you're already at your own pace, coming back to your screen and passing this back back to Andrea now. Thank you, Anna. We have just a few minutes left together this evening. So let's sit together. Finding yourself a posture that feels relaxed and yet alert. Relaxation and alertness are not opposites. The body and mind can be very relaxed and very alert at the same time. Sometimes I find a way into this, a word or two, sitting with dignity. an expression of integrity, relaxed dignity. And allowing the body to relax the mind to relax. Maybe taking a few moments, I'll give you a moment or so, a few moments to scan through the body. Just noticing if there are areas of tension, seeing if they can be softened, relaxed, released. And as you're relaxing the body, you are using awareness. Awareness is present. Aware while relaxing. Being aware while relaxing the body. As the body relaxes, it supports a mind, the mind to relax. Maybe the mind can relax. And checking in, curious about being aware. 
Are you aware? Starting with aware while relaxing. And then just shifting to aware. What are you aware of? What is obvious? Settling back like that naturalist. Curious, perhaps, of the feeling sense in the body and mind. We often use language about looking at, seeing, observing for mindfulness. And yet some other language, other language perhaps feeling, being with experience, receiving. Just receiving what's already here. In each moment, this may change, and that's okay. You don't have to chase after experience. Let experience come to you. Relax. Recognize awareness and notice what is obvious. So it's the end of your day and you've been on the computer, many of you, for quite a while. And so you're welcome to turn off your computer for a while, but I would encourage you if you are planning to find your way to resting at this point, 
Can you be aware? Exploring that possibility, aware while taking care of your shiftings to get towards bed. Being aware. And for some of you, you may still have some energy, perhaps do some walking or another sitting. The hall is always open. So you're welcome to stay connected with people in this way as well. But if you do, if it is time for your rest, please take your rest and rest with awareness until you fall asleep. See you in the morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.